Lord, we thank you for this reading today on August 12th, Father God, and uh, we just ask that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you would be present with us, revealing, um, giving us fresh revelation and rhema words from heaven. And we thank you, Father, that um, you're an awesome God and you reign from heaven above with wisdom, with power, Lord. Father, we thank you that um, your word is precious like gold, Lord, and, and we thank you that um, your word is alive, and we take your word, Lord, and we get it. We want it to go deep into our spirit today, Lord, so help us open our eyes, open our ears, and give us that heart to receive, Lord, and to understand. We would like to get wisdom and understanding today, Lord, so thank you, Father, for being in the midst, and we love you, and we praise you, in Jesus' name. And we read Nehemiah 3.15, please, to 5.13. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Hoez, the leader of the Mitzvah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up doors, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Shalom near the king's garden and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the leader of half the district of Bethzer. He rebuilt the wall from a place across from the tombs of David, David's family, as far as the water reservoir and the house of the warriors. Next to him, repairs were made by a group of Levites working under the supervision of Raham, son of Bani. Then came Hashabiah, the leader of half the district of Kelah, who supervised the building of the wall on behalf of his own district. Next, the, the line, down the line were his countrymen led by Benui, son of Henadad, the leader of the other half of the district of Kilah. Next to them, Ezer, son of Jeshua, the leader of Mitzvah, repaired another section of wall across from the ascent to the armory, armory near the angle in the wall. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zabai, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Eliashib the high priest. Merimoth, son of Uriah and grandson of Hakaz, rebuilt another section of the wall, extending from the door of Elishahib's house to the end of the house. The next repairs were made by the priests from the surrounding region. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired the section across from their house and Azariah, son of Masaiah, and grandson of Ananiah, Ananiah, repaired the section across from his house. Next was Benui, son of Hinnadad, who rebuilt another section of the wall from Azariah's house to the angle of the corner and the corner. Palal, son of Uzi, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house. Beside the court 
of the guard. Next to him were Padiah, son of Parosh, with the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, who repaired the wall as far as a point across the water gate to the east and the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great projecting tower and over to the wall of Ophiel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Immer, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house, and beyond him was Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Next, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the son of Zalap, repaired another section, while Meshulam, son of Berechiah, rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. At the corner, the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from the corner to the sheep gate. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samarian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and, a charred, and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may, the, may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Amen. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city, or, and guarded the city that, uh, that the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who had lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, They will come from all directions and attack us. 
So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall to in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Do, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who's great and glorious and and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall, but from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding their weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeteers stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding then our God will fight for us we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and and half the men were always on guard I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem that way that way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day during this time, none of us, nor I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with this, the problem. At the meeting, I called to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners but you're selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in our defense. Then I pressed further. What are you doing? What, you're, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I, myself, as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, and olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged, and when you lent them money, 
grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and read the uh, today's study. It says, As more and more exiles returned, an economic system developed that created a cycle of poverty for the poor. Wealthy Jews will lend large sums of money. Then, when the, the debtor miss a payment, their fields will be taken from them. Left with no means of income, the debtors were forced to sell their children into slavery, a common practice at this time. In this system, the poor stayed poor and the rich got richer. Nehemiah was angry with the wealthy who were taking advantage of their own people. These practices violated the Jewish laws. In contrast to the values of his world, God says that caring for one another, especially the poor, is more important than his personal gain. God's concerns for the poor is revealed in almost every book of the Bible. The Jerusalem church was praised for working together to eliminate poverty. We should help need needy leavers and work to replace system that perpetuates poverty. How can we make this thing happen with God? It's interesting to see that um, the money, you know, when Jesus came, you know, he he preached the Word of God to them and they said, having the Word of God and quoting the Word of God, and it was already an operation in the Old Testament with Proverbs. There's so many verses in Proverbs that says, Out of your mouth you shall fill your belly with the fruit of your lips. Yes. In other words, you know, the principle of naming it and claiming it to get making yourself better economically was already way back there. But when Jesus came, the words that I speak, they are life and they are spirit. spirit. Spirit and they so are life. So when we speak the, the words of Jesus, you know, um, or the, even the Word of God, because now we have the Holy Spirit in us, they, they will feed us. The words will make us. We read First John 1 through 5, it eliminates poverty. Why? Because love is mentioned about 48, 49 times. That's all. Man, I, I like how um, they prayed when they were being mocked, you know. Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked, and may their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Mm -hmm. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Amen. And it said that at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. It said because the people worked with enthusiasm very important when we do something that we do it with enthusiasm Amen. you know whatever it is we're doing right they all work very together yeah this. Um, you know my, my thing is uh, where were they getting the resources who was cutting the, the new uh, apparently they were they were using the rubble the rubble uh-huh yeah put it back together. the old rubble and the, the other amazing thing is uh, how skillful 
Levi's, everybody, everybody went to work and everybody was skillful at putting, you know, I mean, this is an easy thing for us to do, to measure out the lines, to put down, you know, to uh, put the boulders back together again. And if they needed a quarry to be cutting new boulders that couldn't be put back together. It was just an amazing undertaking mm -hmm. and to see so many people you know, yeah. they don't really tell us where they supply, how they feed the people, how right. they, you know. I and guess there was they a famine in the land, right? I don't know about the famine, but I well, think they had fields, you know, they still had all their grains and their wine and their olive oil. And it was just an amazing feast that everybody got them around and built up the walls. <laughs> and when we're um, just talking about that, do not despise small beginnings that yeah. God will... He, he, he welcomes yeah. the, the work. Yeah, and it's amazing that they had to have people guarding it, for, you know, and so they would basically go and do their work during the day, and they would guard it at night. And it says here, the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their, their load and one hand holding a weapon. Well, you know, I thought they already had received letters from these guys, and I, you know, I guess it must have been years afterward. Remember, they got letters, and they were supposed to pay the taxes for this guy, and, right. and help with the wine and so forth. They got penalized. But why is it so important for these guys to get in the way and mock? Yeah. You know. Uh huh. They just kept, you know, kept at them, but they responded to God. You know, mm -hmm. they responded to the Lord. Yeah, they were saying, remember how gracious our God is. You know, when he told them, don't be know. afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. So, and then down here where it says, uh, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding, then our God will fight for us. Amen. 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 First Corinthians seven twenty-five to 40. Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I, Paul, do not have commanded a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in His mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you the problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by the weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world we know it will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibility and how to please his wife. Uh -oh. <laughs> His interests are divided in the same way. A woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about their earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. 
I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with a few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he is treating his financing improperly, fiancé, fiancé, well, the same thing, and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes, it is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not marry. So the person who marries his fiancé does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone he wishes. She wishes. But only if he loves but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion it would be better for her to stay single and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Wow. Well he thinks, I don't know, this way out there because it really violates the other scriptures um, where God said multiply and be fruitful and replenish the land, you know. Mm, You know, know, it violates the the scriptures, I the Lord will give you, you know, houses and riches and and all the plants of children around your table and all that. You know, all the joy of having a family. Yeah, and your quiver and your liver quivers. uh, I think the reason he says that is because there's there's, um, there's an emergency. They're either being persecuted. He says to the present crisis because to the present crisis. You know, right there on 26, 726, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to know. So I don't know what crisis they were going. If they were in war and they were being persecuted, then it makes sense. Yeah, but it's not so much about persecution as it was to what was going on at the Corinthians. Everybody was lusting. Yeah, they were a little loose out there. The present crisis? Yeah. It was out of control. Well, that makes sense. You know, why they're uh, putting such bold stands yeah. on people. Trying to give them some, some type of guidelines. But, you know, there is truth to what he's saying, you know, as far as, you know, because then he, remember we read yesterday, he said that if you can't control your lust, then marry. Right? Well, what about if God calls you to marry and bear children, you know? That's yeah, well, that's true. That's, how about happiness? There's no happiness in Yeah, this, by you yourself. Know? Yeah, we see you that. You know, uh, you know, you can serve the Lord just as well. By With being, two. Two are better than one. Yeah. Uh, two and uh, we're two agree. So, I don't yeah. know. So, yeah. Okay, well. Yeah, maybe maybe the other deal, too, is, is that Paul wanted everybody to make the same commitment that he did. Uh-huh. A sacrificial commitment. He didn't have time for a wife. He didn't have time for these things. He, the important thing was to save souls and go to, you yeah. know. He probably wanted an army just like him. He says, but it's my opinion. It would, so it's like, he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone else she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. And then he says, but it's in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Well, he thinks. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that yeah. he, he also had a, you know, pray and didn't get the direction. He says, just wisdom. He goes, I think this is wisdom from God. But, mm-hmm. you know, God didn't, because uh, his law is already set in, in motion and in, in rock from the Word of God. 
you know, go out and replenish the earth, have plenty of children, and multiply, be fruitful, and subdue yeah. the earth. Um, but yeah, you brought upon yourself. So if I pass away, you have to marry someone that's a believer. And since you're not going to pass away, and by the, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to, you're, you're stuck with me. I want to be stuck with you. You're I love you. To the hip. Yeah, I like you. I love you, babe. <laughs> okay. Acknowledge the sins you have been ignoring. Give thanks to God for giving you more time. Lord, I acknowledge that I've been loose with my words. Forgive me for my gestures, Lord, that are not in line with yours. I confess, Lord God, that I will be, Lord God, more cordial in my speech and my walk towards others and to you. And I confess, Lord, that you forgive me of all my sins, Lord. Psalm 32, 1 through 11. Oh, with joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Whose sin is put out of sight. Hallelujah. Yes, with joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Amen. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groan all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best path for your life. Hallelujah. I will advise you and watch over you because I love you. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey Him. Shout for joy, all who hear, whose hearts whose hearts are pure. That's a wonderful scripture. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best path of, for your life. I will advise you and watch over you because the Lord took me from my mother's womb and showed me how to trust. And He caused me to hope. Amen. Proverbs 21, 5 and 7. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a daily trap. The deadly. violence deadly trap. Then dead okay. The violence of the wicked sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming on today's podcast, Bible College Curriculum. Kenny Copeland, Meditate on the Word, aa.org. Scripture for today is Genesis 15, 5 and 6. Let's go ahead and open this session with a moment of silence, followed by the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Meditate on the word. And God brought Abraham from abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. Did you ever have trouble believing the word of God? Not just agreeing with it mentally, but really believing that what it says will work for you. I do. I do. There are times when the promises in the word stagger my mind. There have been times when I felt so defeated and the circumstances around me looked so bad that it was tough for me to believe I was more than a conqueror, even though I knew God said I was. What do you do when your mind staggers like that at the promises of God? You meditate on that promise. You meditate on that promise. Scriptural meditation simply means thinking about and reflecting on the Word of God. It means pondering a particular scripture and mentally applying it to your own circumstance again and again until the scripture permanently marks your consciousness. That kind of meditation can affect your life in a way that almost nothing else can. It can quite literally alter your mind. That's what happened to Abraham. When God first told him that he was going to father a nation, he was an old man. His wife Sarah, Sarai was also old. What's more, she had been barren all her life. How could an aging, aging, childish couple have even one child, much less a nation full of them? Abram couldn't even imagine such a thing. It contradicted his entire mindset. But God knew the mental struggle Abram would have, so he didn't just make him a verbal promise and leave it at that. He gave Abram a picture of the promise to meditate on. He took him out into the starry night, turned his eyes to the sky and said, So shall thy seed be. Can't you see Abram staring out of the stars, trying to count them, filling the eyes of his heart with the promises of God? That's what meditation is all about, taking time to envision the promise of God until it becomes a reality inside you. It's tremendously powerful, and by focusing on the scripture promise God has given you, you can put it to work in your life just as Abram put it to work in his. Don't just read the word, meditate on it today. Scripture reading is Romans 4, 13 to 25. Kind of excited. Let's go see what it says here. Romans 4, 13. Clearly, God's promises to give the whole earth to Abraham, Ham, and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. 
If God promises is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promises is pointless. For the law always brings punishments on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promises is received by faith. It is a given as a free gift. And we are all stirred to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you a father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who created new things out of nothing. Even when there's no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God has said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefits. It was recorded for our benefit too, to assure us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Faith to Faith, August 12th. A Supernatural Cycle of Blessing by Kenneth Copeland. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Ecclesiastes 11.1 One of the most exciting things I ever discovered about God's law of sowing and reaping was the fact that financial harvests are not seasonal. If you plant year-round, you can be receiving year-round. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying your harvest will come instantly. It usually won't. You may have to wait for it for several months. What I'm saying is, if you keep planting consistently, you'll receive just as consistently. If you continually cast your bread on the water, eventually it will come in on every wave. Of course, some people never get to enjoy that kind of constant blessing. That's because instead of giving, they keep waiting to receive. They stand on the beach saying, I wonder where my prosperity is. As soon as it comes in, I'll start giving. God's economy doesn't work that way. He said, give and it will be given to you again. The way you measure it, it will be measured back to you. You have to make the first move. You have to send a ship out before your ship can come back in. Think about that next time you're tempted to complain about the things that life brings your way. Remember that whatever you've been casting out, there is always what you find on down the road. If you've been giving doubt, unbelief, and fear, condemning and judging others and complaining, that's what has been coming back to you. If you have been giving nothing, then nothing is 
what you get. But if you've been giving blessing to others and resources, then expect an abundant harvest. You're holding the seeds of your own future in your own right hands right now. Step out in faith and use them to put the supernatural cycle of blessing in motion. Start now planting one good seed after another. Eventually, you enjoy a good harvest every single day. And reading for this is Luke 6, 31 to 38. Let's go over there. Luke 6. Luke 6, 31 to 38. Here we go. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good, only do to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back unto you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and pouring into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. All right. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, let's go to uh, our Psalms. Let's read Psalm 11 and Psalm 12. I trust in the Lord for protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountain for safety? The wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows to the bowstring. They shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely examining every person on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. He hates those who love violence. He will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punish them with the scorching wind. For the righteous Lord loves justice. The virtuous will see his face. Psalm 12. Help, O Lord, for the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. May the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boasting tongues. They say we will lie to, to our heart's content, our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies. 
I have seen violence done to the helpless, and I have heard the groans of the poor. Now I will arise up to rescue them, as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. Therefore, Lord, we know you will protect the oppressed, preserving them forever from this lying generation. Even though the wicked trust about, and evil is praised throughout the land. Evil is praised throughout the land. Psalm 41. All the joys of those who are kind to the poor... The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. O Lord, I pray, have mercy on me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as they were my friends. But all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of the bed. Even my best friends, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalms 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sounds of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the swords of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I heard the tumult of the raging seas as your waves are searching tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief? 
oppressed by my enemies. Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Amen. Now we go to Psalm 71. O Lord, I have come to you for protection. Lord, let me be disgraced. Save me and rescue me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me and set me free. Be my rock of safety, where I can always hide. Give the order to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. My God, rescue me from the power of the wicked, from the clutches of cruel oppressors. O Lord, you alone are my hope. I trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. Yes, you have been with me from birth. From my mother's womb, you have cared for me. No wonder I am always praising you. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. That is why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. And now in my old age, don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. For my enemies are whispering against me. They are plotting against to kill me. They say God has abandoned him. Let's go and get him. For no one will help him now. Oh God, don't stay away. My, my God, please hurry to help me. Bring disgrace and destruction on my accusers. Humiliate and shame those who want to harm me. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power, though I am not skilled with words. I will praise your mighty deeds, O Sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you alone are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power for the, to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with the music on the harp because of you are faithful to your promises, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with lyre, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for you and sing your praises, for you have ransomed me. I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long, for everyone who tries to hurt me has been shamed and humiliated. Psalm 72. Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful. Help him to defend the poor, 
to rescue the children of the needy, to crush their oppressors. May they fear you as long as the sun shines, as long as the moon remains in the sky, yes, forever. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from the oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. May there be abundant grain throughout the land, flourishing even on the hilltops. May the fruit trees flourish like the trees of Lebanon. And may the people thrive like grass in a field. May the king's name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This ends the prayers of David's son of Jesse. King Solomon. And now, Psalms 101. I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs, a psalm of David. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. Psalms 102. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my times of distress. Bend down to listen to me and answer me quickly when I call to you. For my days disappear like smoke and my bones burn like red hot coals. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I have lost my appetite because of my groaning. I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far-off wilderness. I lie awake, lonely as a solitary bird on the roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down my drink. 
Because of your anger and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me out. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withered away like rest. But you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You will arise and have mercy on Jerusalem. Now is the time to pity her. Now is the time you promise to help. For your people love every stone in her wall and cherish even the dust in her streets. Then the nations will tremble before the Lord. The kings of the earth will tremble before his glory. For the Lord will rebuild Jerusalem. He will appear in his glory. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. Let this be recorded for future generations, so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. Let them, the Lord, tell them the Lord looks down from his heavenly sanctuary. He looked down to earth from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners, to release the condemned to die. And so the Lord's fame will be celebrated in Zion, his praise in Jerusalem. When multitudes gather together and kingdoms come to worship the Lord, he broke my strength in middle life, cutting short my days. But I cried to him, O my God, who lives forever, don't take my life while I am so young. Long ago you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them, but you are always the same. You will live forever. The children of your people will live in security. Their children's children will thrive in your presence. Psalms 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calm and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel. I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep, nor close my eyelids in slumber. Until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. We heard that the ark was in Ephratah. Then we found it in the distant countryside of Jiar. Let us go to the sanctuary of the Lord. Let us worship at the footstool of his throne. Arise, O Lord, and enter your resting place, along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests be clothed in godliness. May your loyal servants sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject the king you have anointed. The Lord swore an oath to David with a promise he will never take back. I will place one of your descendants on your throne if your descendants obey the terms of my covenant and the laws that I teach them. Then your royal line will continue forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here. 
for this is the home I desire. I will bless the city and make it prosperous. I will satisfy its poor with food. I will clothe its priests with godliness. Its faithful servants will sing for joy. Here I will increase the power of David. My anointing one will be a light for my people. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but he will be a glorious king. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading Limitless Love, August the 12th. In the Image of Love by Kenny Copeland. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is our scripture. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Again, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As born-again children of God, you and I ought to be growing up in the image of Jesus. With every day that passes, we should be walking, talking, thinking, and acting more like Him. Instead of crying in fear about the storms of life that comes against us, we ought to be learning how to take authority over them. We should be saying, as Jesus did, Peace be still. Some folks think this practically flat blasphemous for us to imagine that we could ever be like the Lord. But the New Testament plainly says that it is our destiny. Jesus himself said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works indeed shall he do, because I go unto my Father, John fourteen twelve. The Apostle Paul wrote that we are predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. And to grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, Ephesians 4.15. The Apostle John said it this way, As he is, so are we in this world, 1 John 4.17. As an amazing as these scriptures are, every believer knows instinctively they are true, our spirits instantly bear witness that we've been born again to be Jesus, just like Jesus. God wants to do the same things through us that he did through his son. Some of us have stepped into that occasion. We had moments when we experienced the life and power of God flowing unhindered through us. But we haven't had yet lived in that place on a day-to-day basis. Why haven't we? Why is it that we've been, what have we been missing? The fullness of God's love. Love is the key to all, to it all. Since Jesus is the embodiment of love, to be conformed to his image means to be conformed to the image of love. So the more we behold him in our hearts and realize we are born of that love, the more fully Jesus will be revealed in us. Some time ago, the Lord said to me that we needed to develop to a much higher degree our revelation that God is love and His love is in us to be used. As you develop and exercise that love, 
He said, it will not only fill you up, it will flush the fear out of your soul. Once fear is flushed out, you'll begin to step out in faith and live in a way the world cannot explain. They'll begin to wonder, who is this that even stops and stills the storm? They'll see in us the person of Jesus. They'll see in us the image of love. Amen. August 13, Limitless Love, According to Your Faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Matthew 9, 29. Faith works by love. We acknowledge the fact many times, but did you know that love cannot work without faith? It is true. I could love you with all my heart. I could love you so much that I would buy you a house, put a new car in the driveway, and give you the keys to both of them. But if you don't trust my love, those things wouldn't do you no good. When I try to give you the keys, you'll just refuse them and say, No, you can't fool me. I know you haven't bought me a car and and certainly don't believe you bought me a house. So just keep those silly keys because I am not falling for that lie. Ridiculous? No, that's really a fact. There was an actual case many years before ago in Chicago, a man who had been living in a terrible poverty, just barely getting by with the help of some government welfare check, was contacted by someone and informed he had been named heir to a multi-million dollar fortune. Just imagine, here's a fellow who has been living on the street, hungry, suffering from the heat and cold. You'd think he'd jump for joy at the news, thrill at even the possibility someone had provided for him. But he wasn't. Instead, he refused to believe the messenger. Ain't nobody ever given me nothing, he said. And and ain't no one ever going to give me nothing. You get out of here and leave me alone. As the story goes, the mayor of the city himself was finally recruited to help convince the man to receive his inheritance. So he drove up in his limousine in front of the dumpy place where this man was living. The man clearly realized this was the mayor, but he still didn't believe. No, he said again, nobody's ever given nothing to me and... They aren't going to start now, so just get back on your fancy car and go on. The mayor had to order the man to come with him. He told him he was tired of the state having to pay for his food when he had a million dollars in the bank. So he took the man to the bank, fussing and kicking all the way. (laughs) Sadly enough, many Christians are like that. They have a heavenly father who loves them so much, he has provided everything they'll ever need. They have an inheritance so rich it's literally inexhaustible, but they haven't developed enough faith in God's love to receive it. Lord, they say, I am not asking for very much, just enough for me and my family to get by. So in spite of the riches God longs to give, he is obligated to to parcel out that pitiful provision his child has asked for, as he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. So that tells us that uh, we need more love. And the way to get more love for me is stay with 1 John 1 through 5. Years ago, Kenny Copeland said, if you read 1 John 1 through 5, your financial worries will leave you. And at that time, I had credit cards. I had no job. My back was hurt. 
So I didn't have anything to lose. I started reading it and it was monotonous reading it every day. Love this, love that. I counted how many times it said love and it said 48 times on that particular version. Then I realized after about a year, the word love took root in my heart and the word love was God himself. And when there is love, God, where there's God, there's no need. Love or God, they attract favor, earthly favors. They attract prosperity and success. They attract good fortune. That's my experience, folks. I, If you don't believe it, I don't know what to tell you. Other than that, it works for me. So I'm going to take the liberty right now to read 1 John 1 through 5. And let me go ahead and grab my Bible. I have the first uh, King James, New King James Version. It says, Beloved. It starts out, Beloved. Beloved. In other words, stay in the moment. The love of God is present in the air. Beloved. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and heard and witnessed and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare it to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which... Things is true in him and in you. 
because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went off from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not ashamed before him as he is coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and if it had not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
And if you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Little children, let not no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For there, this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this the the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, because he laid his down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we ask his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. Now who... Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the Spirit, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, he who knows God hears us, he who does not know God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, 
that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son of Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts off fear, because fear torments. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Again, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we all we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God this is he who came by the water and the blood Jesus Christ not only by water but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is true. And these three agree who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are agree. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive this witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Holy Son. He who has the Son of life he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you that who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may 
continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything we, uh, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, He, what he, uh, hears, what he hears whatever we ask. We know that we have the petition we have asked of Him. If anyone sees brother sinning, sin which he does not lead to faith, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God, God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The Lord knows that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his Son, Lord Jesus Christ. This is the true gospel and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, family, for coming in here. And remember Psalm seventy-three twenty-six: My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. A Sermon by Wigglesworth Smith Wigglesworth 1 John The way to overcome is to believe A Sermon by Smith Wigglesworth 1 John 5 The greatest weakness in the world is unbelief The greatest power is the faith that works by love Love, mercy, and grace are bound internally to faith. There is no fear in love and no question as to being caught up when Jesus comes. The world is filled with fear, torment, remorse, and brokenness. But faith and love are sure to come. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believed that Jesus is the Son of God. God has established the earth and humanity on the lines of faith. As you come into line, fear is cast out. The Word of God comes into operation and you find bedrock. The way to overcome is to believe Jesus is the Son of God. The commandments are wrapped up in it. When therefore is a fidelity between you and God and the love of God is so real that you feel you could do anything for Jesus, all the promises are yes and amen to those who believe. Your life is centered there, always overcoming what is in the world. Who keeps the commandments? Though born of God, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. They that believe love when when he did when did he love us? When we were in the mire. What did he say? Your sins are forgiven. Why did he say it? Because he loves us. What for? That he might bring many Sons into the miracle of God, that we might live with him forever. All the pathway is an education. 
high vocation and calling forever and ever. This hidden mystery of love to us, the underserving for our sins, the double blessing, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory, even our faith. He who believes, to believe is to overcome. On the way to Emmaus, Jesus began from Moses and all the prophets interpreted to them all the scriptures that things about himself. He is the root in him is life. When we receive Christ, we receive God and the promises that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I am an heir to all the promises because I believe a great heirship. I overcome because I believe the truth. The truth makes me free. It is God who exalts, God who makes rich. The Lord in his mighty arms bears you up. It is the Lord that encamps round about you. When I am weak, then I am strong. No wavering. This is the principle. He who believes is definite, and because Jesus is in it, it will come to pass. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They that are poor in spirit are heirs to all. There is no limit to the power of God, for God is rich to all who call upon him. Not the will of the flesh, but of God. Put it in your claim for your children, your families, your workers, that they may be brought to the glory of God. For it is all on the principles of faith. Amen. There is nothing in my life or ambition equal to my salvation. A spiritual revelation from heaven according to the power of God, and it does not matter how many flashlights Satan sends through the human mind, roll all on the blood. Who overcomes? He who believes Jesus is the Son. God calls in the person with no credentials. It's the order of fate. He who believes overcomes and will be caught up, the Holy Ghost gives revelation all along the line. He that is not against us is for us, and some of the most godly have not touched Pentecost yet. We must have a good heart, especially to the household of faith. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The root principle of all the truth in the human heart is Christ, and when grafted deeply, there are a thousand lives you may win. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the secret to every hard problem in the world. You can't do it. Joseph could not. Everything depends on the principle in your heart. If God dwells in, in, in us, the principle is light. It comprehends darkness. If your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light, breaking through the hardest thing. In this is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. For faith has full capacity when man is pure, and it is easy to detect darkness. He who has this hope purifies himself. 
God confirms us in faith that we may be refined in the world, having neither spot nor blemish nor any such. It is all on the line of faith. He that has faith overcomes. It is the Lord who purifies and brings to you where the fire burns up all the dross, anoints with fresh oil, sees to it that you are pure. God is separating us from himself. I will give you a mouth and wisdom with all your adversities, will not be able to say, say gain or say resist. The Holy Spirit will tell you in the moment what you will say. The world will not understand you, and you will find as you go out with God that you don't understand fully. We cannot comprehend what we are saved, or none can express the joy of God's indwelling. The Holy Spirit can say through you, the need of the moment, the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. A place of confidence in God, a place of prayer, a place of knowledge, that we have what we ask, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Enoch, before his translation, had this testimony. He had been pleasing unto God. We overcome by believing. Amen. The way to overcome. Believe. A sermon by Smith Wigglesworth.